Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and this is one of those episodes where I will be manning the podcast solo. Curtis, we wanted to get him on here today, as we normally do at the end of the week, but he's having a lot of fun right now with his law school final exams over the next two weeks, so we are giving him the week off to focus on all of that fun stuff. You get a lot of one-word text responses from Curtis this time of year. Better him than me. I don't need that level of stress in my life anymore. But you guys know how this works. This show doesn't go dark, Curtis or not. We're here to give you your Georgia football fix every single week of the year. And this week is no different. Charlie and I answered another batch of mailbag questions on Monday's episode and gave a little love to the Georgia women's tennis team for their clean sweep of the regular season and conference tournament titles. I also want to give a big shout out to the equestrian team. Definitely don't want to leave them out. I kind of feel like I did leave them out, but they won the program's incredibly impressive seventh national title a few weekends ago. Not last weekend, the weekend before, about a week and a half ago. I meant to give them a shout out last week, but I'm just an idiot. We got caught up in the post-spring practice recap stuff and it just slipped my mind. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm an equestrian expert because, yeah, I'm just not that. Uh, I know it's horses jumping over stuff, but that's about the extent of my knowledge of that sport. But my ignorance aside, that's on me. That's just awesome stuff. It's incredible, and they deserve some very serious props there. I believe. I guess that's Josh Brooks's first national title as an athletic director. So, congrats to them. Congrats to Josh. Congrats all around. That's awesome news. I also want to give a shout out to the baseball team, who has now won. Don't look now, guys, but we've now won three SEC series in a row, including a road series victory against number two Vanderbilt a couple weekends ago. And this recent run has now evened our conference record at 9-9. We lost our first three conference series. We've now won our last three, again, including that that victory on the road over number two. Vanderbilt took two out of three from them in Nashville. So we're evened up 9-9 overall in the SEC. We've also pushed our overall record to 26-12. So with that record and an RPI that's kind of right now consistently hovering right around the top 25, we are now looking like we are in pretty good shape for a postseason berth of some sort as long as we don't fall off the face of the earth, which could happen. We do have a pretty rough 
uh, stretch to end the season. We're not going to be a national seed. We're not going to host a regional. That's okay. This team is doing exactly what I thought they would do, and that is improve as the year went along. We've got some good veterans with guys like with the Tate twins, you know, Connor Tate's hitting as well as anybody in the SEC right now. Riley King's played a lot of baseball for us, so we've got some vets in the lineup. But we also start two to three true freshmen every time out, just depending on, on the day and who's in the lineup that day. But we, we start at least two freshmen every single game. And we've got a lot of youth and, and, and inexperience in the pitching staff. We've got another winnable series this weekend against Auburn at home. Auburn is the worst team in the league. We should win that series. It'd be nice to get a sweep. That would really help. But then after this weekend, it gets tough. Well, it gets tough again. We close it out with another tough gauntlet. Number one, Arkansas on the road. Whew, that's going to be a tough series. Then we go to Gainesville to take on number 16, Florida. And then we come back home to take on number 17, Ole Miss. So that's a very tough three-series stretch to end the regular season. But I feel good about this team. Like I said earlier in the year, they're going to get better. And we're seeing that. They're getting better. We've got a lot of young guys in key spots, but they're improving. They're growing up. This is not a team that's going to make a College World Series run. That'd be awesome. I just don't see it happening. That was last year. But in the coming years, we're going to see a team that's going to be competing for national seeds year in and year out. This is kind of, I don't, it's not a rebuilding year. It's just a transition year. We're still good. It's not a full on rebuilding year. We're just kind of transitioning with a lot of these young guys. And I think the future is still very bright here in Athens for the Georgia baseball team. But as for the main thrust of today's show, we're going to take a very early look at the Georgia Clemson week one matchup. Normally, this isn't something we would be doing in late April, early May, this time of year on the calendar. But. A lot of the interaction we've had with listeners on social media over the past week or two, I wish you guys could see my DMs and uh, my email inbox right now, is littered with, with references to Clemson's fan base just trash talking. It's, it's all over the place. And so a lot of that, um, it's been Clemson fans just talking trash in the aftermath of G-Day. We kind of alluded to that, or somebody alluded to that with one of our mailbag questions earlier in the week. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've never really engaged with it on social media because... I mean, it's just not my style and it doesn't really do anything constructive. I don't know what the purpose of that is. It's just never been something I've really been into and I'm not good at that. So I'm just going to stay. I let other people do that. Other people are much better at that than I am. So I'll let them handle that business. Uh, I'll just say this. The September 4th cannot get here fast enough. That's when things will be settled. I cannot wait for that game. Oh my God, that's going to be incredible. But it seems like the impetus behind a lot of this mid-April, <laughs> that's mid-April trash talk, sure, whatever, mid-April trash talk from the Clemson fans, uh, it seems like the impetus behind that was an article, um, if you even want to call it that, written by some Homer Clemson publication. I really do not remember the name of this site, and even if I did, I wouldn't give them the satisfaction of being mentioned on our podcast. But anyway, a listener sent me the article, actually a couple listeners sent me the article, uh, and to be entirely honest, I did read the headline. I read the deck, which is the kind of the, the teaser text right under the headline, but I didn't actually click into the main article because I just didn't want to give them a click for what was so transparently based off the headline and, and the deck there, the teaser, so transparently a clickbait article. I just didn't want to give them that satisfaction. So I didn't read it. I'll be honest. I didn't read the whole thing. But the deck that teases that main claim of the article said that, what it said was that after an incredibly detailed analysis, of course, it's very detailed analysis, of both teams' rosters, that in their infinite wisdom, this 
Clemson publication that Clemson obviously had the edge in every single position on the field when it comes to Georgia versus Clemson in 2021. There's apparently just not one single position on the field where Georgia has an edge over Auburn with a lake. Not one, apparently. Again, I didn't read the article, so I can't comment on their specific claims at each position. But given that so many of our listeners have commented on this specific article and just the general trash talk coming from Clemson Twitter, because let's, and I say Clemson Twitter, because let's not act like this is the rank and file Clemson fans. I, I don't like Clemson fans. I actually had a very bad experience going to Clemson. What year was that? 2013, I want to say. Uh, didn't have a great experience going there at all. So I'm not trying to take it for, for Clemson fans at all, but let, let's also understand that Twitter is not reality. It's kind of like a Carnival Funhouse ride. It's, it's a Carnival Funhouse ride version of reality. That's what it is. But given all of the, the interest that I've seen around... Clemson's Trash Talk, I thought it'd be fun to do our own episode where I give it a shot and handicap the Georgia-Clemson matchup position by position. But before I do that, a couple caveats here. I do want to just lay this out before we get started. Now that college basketball season is over, I am 100% full go into my off-season film study. Since January, I've already watched each one of our games at least twice, and I'm in the process of giving that one more run-through. But to prepare for this episode... I did press pause on that, on going back and rewatching all of our games one more time, to begin my study, my film study of Clemson last weekend. I've only made it through two games. I managed to make it through two games last weekend, the BC game and the regular season Notre Dame game. And I chose both those games intentionally because those were the two games that DJ Uyunglele started at quarterback for Clemson. And since he's going to be the guy that we face this season in Charlotte, just makes sense to watch those games. Trevor Lawrence, cool, whatever. That's not relevant for this coming season when we play them. I want to see what DJ Uyunglele has got to offer. So, and I only tell you that to make it clear up front that it is still very early in my breakdown of the Clemson Tigers. I am not an expert on them yet, and I'll probably never be an expert. But I mean, I watched them a good bit last year, but I haven't run through a detailed film study of them. I guess is what I'm trying to say. A detailed film study of Clemson like I would in preparation for, oh, I don't know, like a scouting the enemy episode that we'll do later on in the summer. I just haven't gotten there yet. So what that means is that while I, I certainly wouldn't call this a surface level look at the matchup, we don't really, we try not to do surface level stuff in this show. I can't say that we never do, but we tried not to. We tried to be deeper than that and give you a more in-depth look at things. So I, I'm not going to call it a surface level look. But it's not, I will say it's not going to be as detailed and in-depth as our breakdowns of this game will be later this summer once I get further into my Clemson film study. I just want to put that out there and be upfront with you guys on that, but who cares? Whatever. It's, it's mid-April or late April, early May. It's still fun. And judging by the amount of DMs and emails I have gotten about this stuff over the past week or so, there's a good amount of interest about it right now, at least among our listeners. So, why not? Why not go ahead and just give you guys what I got at this point? But all right, let's kick things off and let's start with the quarterback position because I do think this, I mean, it's the most important position on the field. We know that. But I also think this is a really interesting debate between JT Daniels and DJ Uyunglele 
Both these guys are former five stars out of the Southern California area. They went to rival high schools, actually played against each other in high school. JT went to Matter Day. Uyengale um, went to St. John Bosco. Again, they actually played against each other in 2017. I, I think Daniels was a junior that year. It was his final year because he reclassified and graduated a year early. And uh, DJ Uyengale was a sophomore. Daniels got the better of him that night in a 49-24 to Matter Day victory. Daniels was... was Great in that game. I didn't see him, but if you look at the numbers, he was lights out. He threw for 300 yards, five touchdowns. Uwe Ungale threw for 172 and two touchdowns. Yeah, he's a, he was his first year as a starter, so you know. It's, it's, I don't want to say completely apples to oranges, but Daniels definitely got the better of him in that matchup. But obviously, this ain't California high school football anymore. This is the SEC. California high school football, it, that's a high level of football, sure, but it's not the SEC. So let's talk about this quarterback position and who has the edge going into the week one matchup, this titanic week one matchup. Now, if if a Clemson fan made the argument that DJ Uyunglele had the higher NFL ceiling than JT Daniels, I wouldn't necessarily argue against that. I really wouldn't, uh, at least from a physical standpoint. I think that's a really fair argument to make. I mean, let's look at DJU. He's 6'5", 245. He moves well. He's got a rocket arm. Now, JT is no slouch physically, but he isn't I think if you look at those guys and watch them play, it's pretty clear he's not working with the same tools as DJ Uyunglele is. And he also had the catastrophic knee injury that he, it seems like he's really well recovered from at this point, but it's not too far removed from that. You gotta factor that in as well. But this isn't the NFL draft. We aren't playing this game in Charlotte based on what you can be three or four years down the road. My focus for this game is on who is the better, more advanced quarterback right now? The quarterback better equipped to help their team win in Bank of America Stadium on September 4th. And that is where I give JT Daniels the edge. All right, call me a homer. That's fine. That's fine. But hear me out here. Hear me out. DJ Uyungle is good. This is not meant as a slight on him. I've only seen the guy play two college games and I came away very impressed both times. I mean, they, they almost beat Notre Dame on the road in his second career start. And now I will say they also almost lost to Boston College in his first career start. He, played, he didn't play poorly, too poorly in that game. He, he played well in that game. But they also almost lost to Boston College at home uh, the week before that. So, you know, they, it, some good, some bad. But, I mean, this guy's great. He's very, very good. He's in line to be another early first-round quarterback draft pick for Clemson. Uh, talking about those two starts last year, threw for 342 yards in his first start against Boston College, threw for 439 on the road in a... In a and a late loss to Notre Dame. So he's good. And I'm not here to say he's not. He is very, very good. But here is why I like JT more in this specific game. First off, JT Daniels has far more experience than DJ Uwe Ungale. Even though he missed basically an entire year with an injury, year and a half with an injury, he still has far more experience at the college level than Uwe Ungale. 16 starts to DJ Uwe Ungale's two starts. He's got three years in college to Uyunglele's one. He's got more opportunities taking live reps, more opportunities to read coverages, to make post-snap decisions in pressure-packed situations, more opportunities to audible at the line, more opportunities to run the two-minute drill, more opportunities to play in front of big crowds in big moments. JT has been the guy before at the college level. This is old hat for him, all right? This is comfortable for him. And I'm not saying that DJ hasn't ever been the guy. He was the guy in high school, but he's never been the guy in college. 
And all that matters. That experience matters. I'm a believer in that. I've always said I'll take talent over experience, but let's not act that the talent gap is all that huge between DJ Uyungle and JT Daniel. These are both big time prep quarterbacks with great pedigrees, former five stars, number one ranked quarterbacks coming out of high school. They're both very talented guys. And you gotta give the experience here, I think pretty clearly. I mean, there's not really any argument to be made here. JT is just simply far more experienced. That is the fact of the matter. And I believe that does matter, especially when the talent level is as close as it is between these two guys. Now, we're going to get to this in more detail later, but here's another reason why I'm going to go with JT in this matchup. And I say matchup, it's not really a matchup. They're not they're not going to be on the field at the same time for one single snap. But if you're talking about the quarterback position, which team has the better quarterback position going into this game, I say yes, and here's another reason why. I, I like the skill talent around JT better than I do the skill talent around Uy Ungalale. Our offensive line is more talented. Now we've got some we've got to figure some things out on the offensive line, to be sure, but the talent, the way we've recruited the offensive line, no contest. It's better than Clemson. Did you watch Clemson's offensive line last year, guys? Not good. Not good against the best teams on their schedule. And oh, by the way, our defensive line, as I said earlier in the week, I think it's the best team in the country coming of the year. Even if it's not the best, it's certainly top two or three. That's not a recipe for success for this Clemson offensive front. And I just think there's more help around JT. If you, if you look at the, the wide receiver position, I think we have some really good players there, especially the running back. I, and we'll get to that. Again, we'll get to all this later. I don't want to spoil too much about wide receivers and running backs and offensive line. We'll talk about that in more detail later on. But I mean, right? Like our running back, like is, our running back room, is there even a question there? I mean, it's not even close at this point. So I do think he has better talent around him. He's more experienced. So when you combine all of that, with the fact, again, that JT Daniels is a really talented quarterback in his own right, actually a more prolific high school passer, not that that necessarily translates to the college level perfectly, but he was a more prolific high school passer. You look at his passing numbers in high school than DJ Uyungle. They were both fantastic, but DJ, or JT put better numbers. He's a former number one quarterback prospect, reclassified, uh, came to college early. He's actually only a year older than DJ Uyunglele. Uh, and he's also a film junkie who studies the game. And he's had more time to study the game because he's been in college more. He's had coaching at the college level more than DJ Uyunglele has. So all those reasons, that explains why I like JT in this matchup. Now, yeah, sure. If you're a Clemson fan and you say that, D- that DJ Uyunglele might end up being the better quarterback when it's all said and done years from now, I might not argue with that. That very well could be the case. But if you are talking this season, week one, give me JT Daniels. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
All right, now let's talk about some of the other positions around here. We mentioned, we kind of, I kind of teased the wide receiver spot here. Let's go into a little more detail here. This is an interesting one because of the injury situation at the position for both teams. We know George Pickens is injured and there's a really good chance he is not going to be back all year. He's certainly not going to be ready week one. He's not going to play in this game. And then for Clemson, Justin Ross is the best receiver on their roster, but he's coming off a really scary surgery for congenital fusion condition that affects his neck and spine. That cost him all of last year. It does look like he is in line to come back this season. He's certainly making a run to try to come back. He's taken the, the proper steps to get to that point. I think I read he's got a meeting with the doctors in June that could potentially give him full clearance. He's hoping to get fully cleared for everything, all activities at, at that meeting in June. But man, like, I, I and honestly, I hope he gets cleared. For his sake, I, I mean, I absolutely, I do not wish poorly on any of these guys. I want him to be healthy and, and he, I, I, I hope he can play. But when you're talking about neck and spine stuff, like, man, that's scary. You just never know when it comes to that kind of thing. So let's say that he does play. Like, if Justin Ross plays and he is the version of himself that he was prior to missing all of last season, I would give Clemson the edge here because he is that good. He is a difference maker. I'm not saying that we don't have potential difference makers at the wide receiver position. He's just, he would be clearly, if he's back to his old version of himself in week one, he would be clearly the most experienced, proven playmaker at wide receiver on either team. He had 66 catches uh, for 865 yards as a sophomore. I mean, he had a heck of a playoff run back in 2019. In his two playoff games there, 12 catches, 301 yards. I mean, this guy is really, and some just spectacular catches as well. I mean, he is a really, really, really good player. But saying all that, we just don't know for sure that he will play. I will probably lean towards him getting cleared at this point. I kind of expect that to happen, but we do not know that for sure. And even if he is back and he does play in this game, do we really expect him to be the best version of himself, that same version of himself that he was Back in the, in the 2019 season, the 2019 playoff run, do we really expect him to be that guy? Yeah, he could potentially get cleared for all football activities in June, but that was like give him two months to get ready for this game. He hasn't really practiced the team, hasn't really been doing anything, hasn't been working out with the team like that for a year or so. Like He hasn't been taking those reps. There's going to be some rust there. Yes, he'll have fall camp to shake off that rust, but you know, going into a game situation, it's been, it's been a minute, man. It'll have been a over a year since he's been in that situation. He's got a new quarterback that he'll be working with. Does he trust the injury? I mean, all those kind of things. Like, there's still questions about will he be the same Justin Ross that he was prior to missing last year? I think he can come back and be that guy eventually, but will he be it in his very first game back? There's certainly a chance, sure, but there's also a really significant chance that he might not be. So you got to factor that in when you're talking about this wide receiver question, like who has the better receiver room. If Ross is fully healthy and he is the same Justin Ross he was before the injury in week one, yeah, I'd give him the edge. He's that good. He's that much of a playmaker, that much of a difference maker. I believe that. But I just don't know if I'm ready to say, yeah, he's going to be that version of Justin Ross. I just don't know. At this point, I would probably lean towards him getting cleared, but we just, again, don't know that for sure. Now, outside of a fully 100% best version of himself, Justin Ross, I just don't think Clemson has a better wide receiver core than we do. I mean, if you look at some of the top guys outside of Justin Ross, you got Frank Glass and Joseph Nagata. Those guys are good. Nagata had a big spring game, got all the Clemson fans all excited. But to this point, 
Ladson and Nagata have not been the type of receivers that put the fear of God in a demons coordinator's heart. And I just, honestly, I'm not sure they have that in them to be like a, a Justin Ross caliber type receiver. Nagata's got, you know, he, you know he, now he battled injuries all last year. You got to say that. But he's got 24 receptions total in 22 games played. He's got 323 yards receiving in his career at this point. Frank Ladson uh, had 18 catches, 281 yards last year. He's a guy that I think can be a good receiver, a really good receiver. I just don't know if he's like that elite alpha number one wide receiver like a Justin Ross, like a T. Higgins was once upon a time for them. Now, E.J. Williams is that guy, I think, who's the closest thing they have to Justin Ross. He's a talented player. He, he's tall, he's thin, about 6'3", 190 pounds. He started the final four games. He actually, none of this matters at all, but just fun fact, he actually went to the same high school that Justin Ross went to in Phoenix, in Phoenix City, Alabama. I think it was a central high school in Phoenix City there. So out of the same high school, he's a talented player. But I, I don't think he's any better than Jermaine Burton. He's a different type of receiver than Jermaine Burton, but I don't think he's any better. If you look at their numbers last year as true freshman, EJ Williams had 24 catches for 306 yards. Jermaine Burton had 27 catches for 404 yards. Neither guy like necessarily lit the world on fire, but they both showed flashes. But I think Burton... When he gets fully activated, and um, he takes, I think he'll take a huge step forward this year. I think EJ Williams probably will too. And again, he's probably the closest they have to being the type of receiver that can grow into a Justin Ross type guy. But I just don't, you don't know if he's there yet at this point. And outside those guys, down the depth chart a little bit, you got Brandon Spector, Aju Aju, some guys that can make some plays for you. And look, if you look at our receiving core, I know we're losing George Pickens. That hurts. If George Pickens is hurt, I think it's pretty clear we have the better receiving core. But he's out. We know that. But Jermaine Burton, Kiaris Jackson, I think they're a better one-two punch than what Clemson has if there's no Ross. And then you got to factor in who else we have on that depth chart. Marcus Rosemead, Jack Saint is very close to being fully cleared to return to all football activities. He was running the side, doing some things during spring, spring drills, wasn't fully cleared, but he's very close. He'll be ready for fall camp. And he's going to be ready for this season. He'll be ready for week one. And he was really starting to come on last year. Yeah, kind of hurts his development a little bit to miss all those reps, but he's a really talented receiver. Dominant Blaylock is kind of a wild card here. We don't know what we're going to get from Dominant Blaylock. It's very similar to Justin Ross. Now, Justin Ross certainly has been far more productive in his career prior to injury than Dominant Blaylock ever was. Dom was good for us before the injury, but he wasn't like a Justin Ross level type guy. But it's a similar situation that there are two talented receivers that very well could be back in time for week one, but how close to 100% are they? What version of themselves will we see on September 4th. So he's kind of the wild card there for us. Then you got some of the young guys, A.D. Mitchell, Justin Robinson, the old man of the group, Demetrius Robertson. I really like our wide receiver core. I didn't even mention Arian Smith. I mean, we'll see what Arian is. Like we had a question earlier in the week, like should we just kind of slow down the Arian Smith hype? And, and maybe that's fair at this point. But the fact is we don't know. We don't know if he's being overhyped or underhyped or what. We've only seen him for seven snaps in a, in a collegiate setting. But he's certainly got that speed, that that one great weapon that can make him a force to be reckoned with at all times because he can dictate coverage. Even that's all he can do right now, and he hopefully can do even more than that. So we have a lot of options there. I really like this wide receiver room, even without George Pickens. I will give this to Clemson and say that they have more of a star right now. Justin Ross, if he's healthy or close to healthy, is more of a bona fide proven star than anyone that we have without George Pickens playing in that game. But I do think we are deeper. I think we have more quality depth throughout our wide receiver room than what Clemson has. But you know what? Let's just give Justin Ross the benefit of the doubt. I think it's really close, even if Ross is back, 
But as I said earlier, Ross is the biggest difference maker out there at that position for either team, at least from a proven standpoint. So let's just be generous here and give this one to Clemson. Let's give the wide receiver position to Clemson. We'll give him that one. All right, moving on here. Tight end, closely related to the wide receivers. Look, I, I'm insanely excited about the tight end position and the possibilities that it presents for our offense this year. I really am. I think I made that clear after, after G-Day and what we saw from Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. I don't think enough people are really talking about what we have at tight end. For Clemson, Brandon Galloway, he's their number one guy. He's a guy, if you remember a couple years ago, was one of the guys that got caught up in their steroid scandal, missed the entire 2019 year, was back last year. He's a good player at tight end. He's an NFL tight end. He's talented. He's a big target. He can run. Had 27 catches for 369 yards last year. Uh, Davis Allen, uh, I think he's from Calhoun, if I remember correctly, is a really nice compliment to Galloway, 6'6", 250. That will give them a chance with those two guys, Galloway and Allen. Clemson will give you some 12 personnel looks, some 21 personnel looks with an H-back. One of those guys, typically Allen and, that H and Galloway as well, in an H-back look. So they're good. I'm not saying that Clemson doesn't have good tight ends. They do. It's a really good team, year in, year out. We know that. But again, I absolutely love the potential of our tight end room. We are younger and less experienced. That is true. That's a fair argument to be made on the side of Clemson here. But Darnell Washington is a physical freak. The dude is a monster. And he's got a year, essentially a year of starting experience under his belt now. Now, did he start every single game? No, but he played a ton. He was essentially a starter for us through most of his true freshman year. And that was in a COVID year. Now he has spring practice under his belt. Yeah, and yeah, he did have COVID through some of spring practice, but he was able to finish strong and play in G-Day. And then Brock Bowers, the true freshman from Napa, California, is a freak in his own right. A different kind of freak, not as big and physical as Darnell, but more athletic. And the type of tight that can take the top of a defense. And you don't see those guys very often. They do not grow on trees. I think both those guys really complement each other well. I think they will be our two starting tight ends probably from the get-go. And then let's not forget about Fitzpatrick. He's not as freaky as Washington and Bowers, but he is a very reliable player, reliable blocker, a, a good target entering his third year in the program now, done some good things for us. So I think our upside at the tight end position is just simply higher than Clemson's upside. And I think Darnell, if we're talking about game changers, like Justin Ross is the biggest game changer at wide receiver. I think Darnell Washington is the biggest game changer out of all of these tight ends. I think Clemson's got a good group. Galloway's good. Allen's good. I just think Darnell is freaky, man. And he is the biggest potential game changer out of all of them. And I am, you guys know, I've been saying since he signed with us, Brock Bowers is a dude to watch. Do not forget that name. That guy is going to make some big plays for this year sooner rather than later. I'm telling you that right now. So give me the dogs when it comes to the tight ends. Now at running back, I mean, do I even have to break this one down? Do I need to waste my breath on this? You guys all watch football. It's obvious to anyone with a functional brain that watches football that not only do we have the edge here, but it's really not even close. Like I, I just don't even. I feel stupid even talking about this. But let's give it a let's give it a shot here for a minute. I do think this is the biggest gap at any position between the two teams. If you're looking at their rosters, position by position, I think this is the biggest gap. Clemson is losing Travis Etienne, who was so good for them. Yeah, he had a little bit of a down year last year, but man, I mean, that dude is the all-time leading rusher in ACC history. And think about some of the elite running backs 
that have played the ACC through the years. I mean, there's been a ton of guys, and he has rushed for more yards than all of them. So that is a blow. I don't care what, what kind of spin any Clemson fan tries to throw your way. That is a massive blow. And it's more of a blow because they don't restock at the running back position the way that we do. They are not stacked with talent on top of talent on top of elite talent. They don't have those kind of guys. They have some good players. They're Clemson. They still recruit well. They just don't have the guys to be able to step in right away and replace a guy like Travis Etienne. Lynn J. Dixon's the odds on favor right now to start the season in week one as the guy. He's a solid back. He's a good back. He's more than serviceable. But he's not close to elite. I mean, come on. The, the gap between Etienne and Lynn J. Dixon, from what I've seen, is pretty significant. Then behind him, you've got Darian Rencher, who's got 375 yards in his career on the ground, and he's now in his his graduate year. Right? He's a fifth-year senior. Chesma Lucy's a guy. He's done some decent things for them. Not an alpha, not a game-changer. Now, the name to watch for them at the running back position is a true freshman coming in this 2021 class. It's a guy named Will Shipley. I wanted this guy pretty badly in recruiting. I mean, this is a guy that was way up on my list when we went back, go back to like this time last year and I was doing like my list of top 10 most wanted recruits. He was up there in the initial list before he ends up committing to Clemson. He's a former five-star, number one all-purpose back. This dude can play. He's fast, shifty, runs with good power, has good hands. He, he's the total package running back. He's going to be a really good player for Clemson for a long time. But the question is, will he be ready in week one to be that guy? Running back is a position traditionally where you can kind of step in early and make an impact. We've seen it with guys like Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley. Like we've seen this. We've seen it happen. And Will Shipley's a guy that certainly could potentially step in and be a week one impact type guy. But it's tough to count on that. It's tough to count on that. I think as the season goes on, he will emerge as their top back. I think I would go out on a limb and say that there's a fair chance that's going to happen. But in week one, I think Lynn J. Dixon's probably going to get the lion's share of the carries. And that's good for us because he's certainly less talented than a guy like Will Shipley. Fine player, solid player, more than serviceable, but he's not a game changer. And then you look at us, I mean, we are loaded at the running back position. So much so that all the conversation the offseason has been more about how in the world are we going to get all these guys carries? Well, you got Zeus, James Cook, both came back for their senior seasons. You've got, in the, in the wings there, waiting behind them, Kenny McIntosh, Keno Milton, who's coming on strong. Dejan Edwards looked really good when he got some time last year. So we are loaded at that position. Not even close. Biggest gap at any position between these two teams. Clear edge to the Georgia Bulldogs at running back. And that leaves us with one final position on the offensive side of the ball. That, of course, is the offensive line. I've talked about our offensive line here for the past couple weeks, so you guys know. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm 100% confident in our offensive line. I feel really good about the interior of our O-line, especially if Jabari Salyer can slide inside. We find somebody left tackle that we feel good about. We can slide him inside. Uh, it's a left guard, but I still have questions about tackle. You guys know that. I've made that pretty clear. I've been open about that, but we do know. Here's what we do know about the tackle spot. We know that at least one of those options in Warren McClendon was at the very least competent at that spot last year as a redshirt freshman, and if someone does beat him out, you have to believe that means they're pretty good because Warren McClendon's a good player. He's, I just, I'm not sold on him being like an elite right tackle yet. Maybe he can grow into that, but if somebody beats him out, that means they're pretty good because McClendon himself is a good player, started most of last year. So I feel okay about right tackle, but but left tackle, whew. I don't know, man. This I just don't know. This is the one spot where I'm kind of like on the offensive line where I'm just like, I don't know. I'm in wait and see mode. I am admittedly concerned, fair to say. I think we have talented options, 
We just need some guys to grow up and develop and then seize control of that spot. Whether it's right now, it looks like the leader in the clubhouse remains Xavier Truss. Maybe it's Marius Mims coming in as a true freshman. Maybe it's Broderick Jones will factor in there. He played a lot of right tackle at G-Day for whatever that is worth, whatever that means. We just need one of those guys. They're all talented. We need one of them to step up, develop, and seize control. So if you look at our line as a whole, we have three starters back. Jamari Salyer, Justin Schaefer, Warren McClendon. We'll see what the lineup looks like this year, but three guys with a lot of starting experience are coming back this year. We actually returned every single starter from the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati. That lineup with Warren Erickson at center, Jamari Salyer at left guard, Schaefer at right guard, McClendon at right tackle, and Truss at left tackle. That group is all back, okay? And this offensive line, you know, it was a, it was a rough start this season against Arkansas, but we really came on as the year progressed and got more comfortable and kind of gelled as a unit. Because if you look at it statistically with some of these advanced stats, we were 11th in line yards, 9th in opportunity rate. In opportunity rate for the offensive line, guys, what that is is like the percentage of carries when four yards is available that you gain at least four yards. So we were top 10 there. That's a big indicator of how good your offensive line is. We were 27th nationally in stuff rate, which is percentage of plays stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. So by all measurements, really, all these advanced stats, our offensive line was like top 10, top 15 in the country. Not top five or so like maybe it was in 2019, but still a really good offensive line. You look at Clemson on the other side, they've got four starters back. And that's, that's a great starting point. That's a good thing most of the time. But when you watch Clemson play, especially against the better competition, if you watch them against Ohio State, if you watch them against Notre Dame, I just... I don't think they were all that good last year. They weren't terrible. I just don't think they were particularly good, especially in their run game. In pass protection, they were they were actually pretty good. They they were fine. So you know they you know you saw Trevor Lawrence running for his life a little bit against Ohio State, but Ohio State was really good last year. But if you look at them against against or in the run game last year, they were 51st nationally in line yards, 66th in opportunity rate, and 36th in stuff rate. Not terrible. Again, not terrible, but not really good either. Walker Parks is, is a guy that I think at right tackle has a pretty good future. He, he's a good player, uh, but like us, they're not sure that they have an answer at left tackle. They're moving the guy that played right tackle last year, a lot of last year over to left tackle and see if he can fit there, but there's no like firm answer at left tackle. I also don't think they are as good as we are on the interior. In my limited film study at this point of watching this team play, Will Putnam at guard is a liability. This guy, he's not overly physical. He can get beat with physicality and strength. He gets beaten pass protection far too often. I don't think he's really good. I don't. Now, maybe he takes a step forward another year in the system. Certainly possible, but I don't like what I've seen from him so far. I'll certainly watch him more closely throughout the rest of the film study, but so far, not impressed. And they're working in a new center who still hasn't completely locked that job down. So they do have starters back. I just don't think they were all that good last year. Is it reasonable to expect them to take a step forward? Sure, that's possible. I just... I don't know. I, if you look at the the recruiting pedigree of these guys, they're not as highly rated as the guys that we've got. And sometimes that doesn't mean anything, but sometimes it does. All, more, more often than not, it does mean something. They Again, they were better in pass protection from a, a statistical standpoint, but a lot of that also had to do, in my opinion, with the fact that you have Trevor Lawrence back there, a veteran quarterback, a potentially probably future number one draft pick back there. And, and sacks can belong to quarterbacks as well. So you look at some of the guys we had back there with Dwan Mathis, Stetson Bennett, Obviously, sacks are often on the offensive line, but there are also plenty of times when it's on the quarterback. When you hold the ball too long, you stay in the pocket, you can't feel pressure, all those things. You don't move well in the pocket. You don't manipulate the pocket. All those kind of things. You aren't decisive. 
Those sacks and wanted quarterbacks as well. And we saw that from Stetson Bennett. We saw that from Dewan Mathis at times. Trevor Lawrence, clearly, you did not see that as much run, but they were much better in pass protection. I will give them that. And maybe this is a draw. Maybe that's the answer until we see how our tackle position plays out. But I think if I had to pick one team here, if I had to pick one side, we have more depth. We have more talent, clearly based on how we've recruited. And we have similar experience in the offensive line. They might be slightly more experienced, but it's really not all that drastically different. So I'm going to give us the ever so slight edge along the offensive line, potentially a bigger edge if we find an answer at left tackle. We just don't know that yet. We'll obviously be monitoring this a lot as we get into fall camp. But I think you can certainly make an argument for Clemson here, but I'm going to give the slight edge to the dogs based on the depth and overall talent in that room. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, let's go ahead and move over to the defensive side of the ball, and let's just start with the defensive line because we've already spent a good deal of time in the first episode of the week breaking this position down. I don't want to be redundant and just repeat myself, so I'm really not going to spend too much time on this position. If you want my full take on the Georgia D-line versus the Clemson D-line debate, check out our episode from earlier in the week. It's up there for you guys to listen to. But just to reiterate a little bit of what I said in that episode, I think both D-lines deserve the hype. I think they're both fantastic. They're both great. They're both full of elite prospects, a bunch of former five stars on both defensive lines. But they are built differently and designed differently. They're asked to do different things by their coaching staff based on their scheme. We are much better against the run. They are much better rushing the passer on standard downs than we are. And that is largely a function of what they're asked to do. What we're asked to do, what we ask our guys to do, what Clemson asked their guys to do. But ultimately, I believe that we have superior depth and we have more game-changing options on the defensive line. They have game changers, but I think we have more of those guys than they do, especially when you include outside linebacker guys like Nolan Smith, former number one overall recruit, Adam Harrison, who I think is the best pure pass rusher in America. So when you add those guys at outside linebacker into this equation, which I do in this conversation because we play a lot of even fronts where outside linebackers have hands in the dirt, basically playing like a 4-3 defensive end. So I include them in this conversation. So with all that, I'm going to give the edge. This is another one that's close. You can certainly make an argument for Clemson, but I'm going to give the edge, as I said earlier in the week, to the Georgia Bulldogs when it comes to the defensive line. Next up, let's stick with the front seven. And this is another position at inside linebacker where I respect what Clemson has. They have a good group. And look, this is a different scheme. They run a 4-3. We run a 3-4. They have three linebackers total. They have a Mike, a Sam, and a Will. We technically have four if you count the inside linebackers and outside linebackers, but again, as I said with the previous grouping there on the defense line, I'm just lumping in our outside linebackers with our defense line. And you can make an argument to put them as just linebackers in general. They do play standing up at times. They'll play in space. They'll do all that. But they also play with their hand in the dirt. And if we're 
talking about Clemson's defensive line and we're using their edge rushers as part of the, as part of their defensive line equation, I'm going to use our edge rushers, our outside linebackers. So when I say linebackers with this grouping, we're talking about Clemson's three linebackers and our two inside linebackers, all right? So I just want to make that clarification there. But when you're looking at linebacker play, Clemson is good. Again, I respect what Clemson has at the linebacker position. I just think our guys are more talented. I ran through some of the numbers on Monday's episode, but for those of you who might have missed that, I'll run through them real quick here again. Our front seven has been dominant the past two seasons against the run, and certainly that has a lot to do with demons of line play. I think that's the centerpiece of what we do against the run, as I laid out on Monday's episode. But you can't just forget about what our linebackers do, our inside linebackers especially. So when you're looking at our front seven, the past two seasons, we finished number one in rush defense, both of the past two seasons, averaging 73 yards a game over the past two years. We've been number one in rush defense deficiency last year, uh, giving up 2.3 yards per rush. And in 2019, we were number two, giving up, oh, I don't know, 2.6 yards per rush. Big difference there, right? We've been as good as anyone in America in defensive efficiency the past two seasons. We've also been better than anyone in limiting explosive run plays. We were number one last year in run plays of 10 plus yards surrendered. We were also number one in run plays of 20 plus yards surrendered. Same story in 2019. Uh, yes, the demons of line deserves, deserves a lot of credit for that, but so do our inside linebackers. They are a major part of that equation as well. It's really a, a team effort, but the front seven is going to be key in that, and inside that front seven, you have our two inside linebackers. As for Clemson, yes, it's another really good group for Clemson. You see the trend here? Clemson's really good. All these units are good. That's why they contain on a year-in, year-out basis. I'm not trying to demean them. They are a good program. All these positions are very talented. And Clemson's linebacking core can be really good. They are. And we can just be better. Both things can be true. James Skowski is the guy in this Clemson linebacking core that gets most of the publicity. He's a throwback linebacker. You guys have seen him play. He's the dude wearing that cowboy collar. He runs around the field, plays with a lot of outward intensity and passion. You like to see that kind of thing. It's fun to watch. He's really good. He is. He missed some time last year with an injury, did not play in that first Notre Dame game in the regular season in South Bend. He's a really good player. He's, again, more of a throwback guy plays really well between the tackles, but he can move pretty well as well. But the guy I think is the most talented linebacker they have is a guy named Trenton Simpson, who was a freshman last year. I really wanted him in recruiting a few years ago. You might remember that name, Trenton Simpson, uh, out of North Carolina. He is an awesome athlete, has an incredibly high upside. He's long, he runs well. I believe he's a surefire NFL player, potentially a first-round draft pick in a year or two. Uh, at the NFL level. He had three starts a year ago as a freshman, really came on towards the end of the season, and he's going to certainly factor in for them this season, and certainly as early as week one. That's a guy that we have got to find every single snap. Balen Spector, the other linebacker, the last one, he was actually their leading tackler last year. It was his first year as a starter. He ended up being second team All-SEC, a good, solid player. He probably has an NFL future as well. I could certainly see that. I don't think he's a first-round guy. But they're a good linebacker. Wyskowski, Simpson, Inspector. That's a really good trio at linebacker for anyone. Those guys are smart. They're reliable. They're talented. The thing is, I just don't think they are as talented and as deep as we are at that position. If you look at what we've got inside linebacker, we have two surefire NFL players in Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean. 
I think both those guys could potentially go in the first round. I, I, I will see how this year plays out. I think both guys have that kind of talent, that kind of potential, where if they have good years, could certainly find themselves in the first round conversation in that 2022 NFL draft. I also think that our linebacking core is more versatile. Now, with a 3-4 scheme, that's one thing that you look for. It, it provides you more versatility than a 4-3 scheme because you have guys standing up. You can move them around. You have depth in your defense. The offense doesn't always know where those rushers are going to come from. You usually bring four, but with some guys standing up at times, you don't know where those four guys are going to be coming from. So your inside linebackers are going to blitz a lot more. And I say that you don't blitz in the three fours or from the four three scheme from the linebacker position. You just see more of it in that three four scheme. Traditionally, everybody has their own different twist on things, but traditionally you see a lot more of that. And we certainly blitz our inside linebackers in a lot of different ways. And our guys, I think, have a lot of versatility, more versatility than what Clemson's linebackers have. We have guys that can play sideline to sideline. Really, all of them, all of these guys, whether you're talking about Quay Walker, Nicobe Dean, even Channing Tindall, Ryan Davis is a guy that I think is going to find himself in that rotation. All of those guys that are going to be in our rotation at linebacker this year, they're all sideline to sideline type guys. Some are faster than others, but they all move that well. They can all fill between the tackles. They can all play in space. They all blitz really well. I think all four of those guys that I think are going to be in our rotation, they all four could be three down inside linebackers, which is something that's a very valuable skill to have at the NFL level. I think we have some really talented players, some versatile guys, and Clemson's good. I just like our guys better. Call me at home if you want, but I think if you watch these guys play, our guys are more versatile. I think they're more athletic as a unit. And the crazy thing is, I think all these guys have their best football ahead of them. They've all been really good and great contributors for us, but I think guys like Quay Walker, Nicobe Dean, Chain Tindall, I think they're all, Ryan Davis, who hasn't really played much at all, I think they're all going to take their game to, to another level, whereas I think a guy like like James Skowski, as good as he is, I think he's probably maxed out his potential at this point. I will give Trent Thompson the benefit of the doubt and say this guy is a long way away from his potential and he can be really, really good. But I think you can say that about every single one of the guys in our rotation. And they were, they've already been really, really good for us. I think they're going to be even better this year. So give me Georgia when it comes to linebacker play. Now, moving into the secondary, let's, let's go with cornerback here. Our concerns at this position are very well documented at this point, and I don't want to rehash all of that. If you listen to this show regularly, you know all about those concerns. We've been very upfront about that. As far as Clemson goes at the cornerback spot, they lost the guy in Darian Kendrick, who was supposed to be their top returning cornerback. He's no longer with the team for whatever reason, whether it was a mutual parting of ways, whether he was actually kicked off the team and allowed to say he was just transferring or whether he just wanted to transfer of his own volition, whatever the case might have been. He's in the transfer portal. He's dealing with some legal issues right now. We've certainly been looking at him as a, as a potential option to land here in Athens as a veteran experienced cornerback. But until those legal issues get cleared up, I don't know if that's going to happen. But for Clemson, he's gone. He's not part of their equation anymore. If you're looking at who's going to start for them, I think there's three options. It's probably going to be two of these three guys if I had to wager some money right now. you got Mario Goodrich, Sheridan Jones, and Andrew Booth Jr., who you might remember from recruiting. He's from here, the state of Georgia, the metro Atlanta area, actually Gwinnett County. He's from Archer High School. Uh, and he's a guy that was really highly recruited, very highly rated. And I, I wanted him. I think every Georgia fan wanted him. He, he's one of those guys that ended up at Clemson. And I think he had the best year last year of those three contenders for those two cornerback spots. He's a junior. He had four starts last year. He uh, graded out pretty well, 74 overall, according to Pro Football Focus, 63 in his coverage. Now, not, none of these really these options really 
grade out that high in terms of their coverage ability, their coverage grade on pro football focus. Mario Goodrich was 55 overall in his pro football focus grade, 56 in his coverage grade. Sheridan Jones, who had eight starts, he's the most experienced of these three guys. He graded out better than Goodrich, but not all that much better. He was graded as a, at a 65 overall, and he was given a 71 grade uh, in coverage ability. So he was the one that graded out the highest when it comes to coverage. But overall, Andrew Booth is the highest graded of these potential cornerbacks for Clemson. It's going to be some combination. The, the reality is they'll probably all play. I think Andrew Booth, when you watch him play, I think he's clearly more talented and athletic than the other two. Sheridan Jones is probably the guy that I would give the next nod to here. He was a borderline top 100 prospect back in the day as well. So I think Andrew Booth Jr., Sheridan Jones will probably be the two guys to open the season. We'll see how that plays out. But whoever ends up being, I think they'll be solid, reliable, decent there. I don't think they necessarily have elite guys at cornerback right now. I think Andrew Booth is a guy that could grow into that. He just hasn't been that yet. But I, I guess I would give Clemson the edge at cornerback right now going this season based on experience between Goodrich, Booth, and Jones. They had 16 combined starts last year. That's far more than the guys that we have contending for our cornerback spot had. I don't know if we have, we actually, well, I mean, what, you've got Jalen Kimber, zero. Amir Speed, zero. Keely Aringo, zero. They're just, there's no experience there, as we've talked about. So based on the fact that they do have some experience and that we just honestly don't know who's going to emerge at those positions for us, it's really hard to compare the, the two positions here when we don't know who our two guys are going to be. We really don't know exactly who their two guys are going to be. This is a tough one to call, but based on their experience, I'll give Clemson the edge here. I will still, however, maintain that we have more talent at that position. When you look at guys like Keely Ringo, Jalen Kimber, Nylon Green, I think we have more talented options, but how close are they to being ready to play in week one against DJ Uyunglele in this Clemson offense? That remains to be seen. But in terms of talent, I like our talent. And really, just about every single position on the field, I think we're more talented because we recruit better. Clemson's secret has been their quarterback recruiting and succession plan at that position and the fact that they play in the ACC. But at this position, when talking about week one, it's just hard to give us the edge here when we are trying to project four guys who we haven't really seen play at this level. So I'll give Clemson the edge at cornerback. And that brings us to our final position to break down, and that is the safety spot. This is another position where it's a, it's a tough call. This is another position where Clemson is good, but I just think we are better. And maybe that's because I've seen more of our guys. That could certainly be the case. I'll own that. But in the limited tape that I've watched on Clemson, in my limited deep dive at this point, I like our guys better. They're good. I think ours are better. If you look at who Clemson's got, there are two guys. They have two returning stars at safety. We've got Nolan Turner and Landon Zanders. Nolan Turner was the 34th highest graded safety in college football last year. That doesn't sound great, but we're talking about 500 or so safeties. That's actually really good. He was a really solid football player. He moves well. He's he's actually really good in run support. That's really where he excels. He's a strong physical tackler. He's not great in coverage. Pro football focus grade about is at 65 in his coverage grade, but I'm not really going to hold that against him all that much because Honestly, not many safeties are that great in coverage. That's why they play safety and not cornerback. They just have to be like competent in coverage. And, no, and Nolan Turner is competent in coverage. He is a reliable guy 
that that gave Clemson a boost when he decided to come back for for his COVID year. They weren't sure he was going to come back, so he but he did, and that I think that was a real boost for them in their secondary, especially when you look at what they're losing at, at the cornerback spot with Darian Kendrick, who was going to be their top guy. And then the other guy opposite Turner is Landon Zanders. If you watched him play all last year, did you see that guy that ran around looking like Troy Palomalu with the hair? That's Landon Zanders. Uh, he was uh, rated as the 230th best safety on Pro Football Focus last season, so not nearly as highly graded as, as Nolan Turner. His overall grade was 66, his run grade was 61, and his coverage grade was 62. Below average in all three major categories there for the safety position. When you watch him play, he moves well, and he's really active, and he's he's really aggressive, but I think he's overly aggressive at times. He's a guy that I think is vulnerable to play action. His eyes get in the wrong spots at times. Maybe that improves with another offseason, a full spring. Certainly that's possible. But when you watch him play last year, like again, I said safeties usually aren't that good in coverage. But Xanders, I, I have questions about him. He's he's not that big of a guy. I do think he's solid in run support. He has the ability because he wants to do it. I just I have questions about him in the back end. I think he's a guy that you can pick on. I think he's a liability back there in coverage. So that's who Clemson's got. And if you look at our guys, you know we have Lewis Seens, the lead guy there, at least in most people's mind, he's the lead guy. But I am really high on Chris Smith. I know Curtis is not. He doesn't really believe in him. I think Chris Smith was fantastic when he filled in for Richard LeCount. And to be entirely honest, I I love Richard. I, I love Richard. He was a great player for us and an awesome guy to have in the locker room. Love everything about him. He's a damn good dog for sure. But Chris Smith, man, at the very least, I would say he was a steadier player in the back end than LeCount was. Like LeCount would make some big plays. But his eyes would get all over the place at times. He would get too aggressive like Xanders does at times. Thinking back to that Arkansas game, his eyes in the backfield and they get that big play in the first half. That's all on Richard LeCount. And Chris Smith is not as physically gifted as Richard LeCount. I, I admit that. But I think he was a steadier presence back there than Richard was. And that's saying something considering that he had really not played much at all prior to Richard's injury and Richard played as much as he had so Chris Smith I think was a really 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 good player for us last year and does not get near enough attention he actually graded out higher than Lewis Cena in pro football focus Cena had a 72 overall grade Smith had a 75 overall grade they were very similar in the run support both these guys excel against the run Cena was 81 against the run with his grade Smith's run grade was 82 and a half uh, seen, we know Lewis seen struggles in coverage at times. That's somewhere where he's really got to improve. Again, most safeties, that's not what they do by trade, but you got to at least be competent. At times, seen wasn't exactly competent in pass coverage. Uh, he had a 57 pass coverage grade. Chris Smith had a 65.5 pass coverage grade last year, according to Pro Football Focus. In reality, when you're looking at the Clemson safeties versus the Georgia safeties, I really think this is a toss-up. I don't think there's much separation there. Turner of of the four starters back there, the two for Clemson, the two for Georgia, I think Nolan Turner is probably the most reliable and experienced of the bunch. He's certainly the most experienced of the bunch. But if I had to lean one way or the other, as close as it is, if I had to lean one way or the other based on the tandem, I just like our combination better. And I think both of our guys, Seen and Smith, have higher ceilings than Turner. I think Turner's perform at the highest level to this point. He's been the most consistent, the most experienced of all these guys. But I think that Seen and Smith have higher ceilings. They have more room for growth given that they are younger than him and they haven't played as much. I know you, you want experience, but Turner's the kind of guy, like kind of like Skowski at linebacker. 
he's a guy that I think is kind of just maxed out already. Whereas guys like Cena and Smith, maybe they haven't been as consistent and as good to this point as Turner has been, but I think they have more room for growth there. So I think the odds of our guys taking a big step forward this year are just greater than Clemson's guys. So give me Georgia here. It's close, but I'll take Georgia in, in a close one at the safety position. So adding all this up, let's go back and recap this real quick. I've got Georgia with the edge at quarterback, Clemson with the edge at wide receiver, Georgia with the edge at tight end, running back, offensive line, defensive line, and linebackers. I'm giving Clemson the edge at cornerback, and in a tight one, a toss-up, I'm giving Georgia the edge at safety. So that's seven positions to two positions for the dogs. And I know that seems like a blow when I'm sitting here saying that, hey guys, we're more talented and better at seven of the nine positions on the field. But as I kind of laid out going through these, the gap between these two teams at each of these positions, really outside of running back, is really razor thin. It's tough to make make choices here, whether you're talking about safety, linebacker, tight end, offensive line. Like You can make arguments for Clemson. You make a strong argument for a number of these positions to go the other way in Clemson's favor. And I'm sure Clemson fans would do that. I made my case. I laid out my argument based on the limited film study I have done to date. I will certainly have a more detailed breakdown of the Clemson Tigers in this week one matchup for you guys in June with our Scouting the Enemy series. But yeah, arguments could be made the other way for Clemson at a lot of these positions. I think you can make an argument for, for Uyunglele over Daniels at quarterback or the Clemson safeties over Cena and Smith. You can even make an argument for that Clemson defensive line if you want to. I'm not going to agree with you if you made that argument, but it's not an unreasonable argument to make. All right, you can make that case. But what is entirely unreasonable is to suggest, as the nameless Clemson publication did, that Clemson has the clear edge at every single position on the field. That's either just blind homerism or representative of a comically insufficient understanding of football. It really just an utter inability to evaluate athletic talent. In reality, though, like, while exercises in the offseason like this are fun, it's fun to do things like this because we're just desperate for, f- for football now that spring practice is over, kind of had the long summer ahead of us. But in reality, when two really talented teams like Georgia and Clemson are set to face off, it isn't so much about who has the edge at each position. Like, okay, let's count them up. Georgia has the edge at safety, inside linebacker, defensive line, offensive line, and, and add them up like that. Like, that's not exactly the most relevant way to look at it. It's really all about matchups, especially when the two teams are so close from a talent perspective. Because uh, Georgia's offensive line and Clemson's offensive line, for example, will not line up across from each other for one single snap. It ain't happening. What's far more relevant is, for example, the Georgia offensive line versus the Clemson defensive line, or Georgia's cornerbacks versus Clemson's wide receivers. It's matchups like that that will ultimately decide the outcome of this game. But in the meantime, while we're waiting to get there, it's still fun to do things like this. Just got to take it for what it is. But all right, guys, that does it for me here today on the Glory UGA podcast. I appreciate you sticking with me here on this solo episode. We hope to get Curtis back early next week if he's got enough time between finals to recap the NFL draft. We have a lot of guys that hopefully will get drafted. See if we get some guys in the first round. And on Monday's episode, we had a question like it was over or under one and a half Georgia players that go in the first round. I, I shamefully took the under. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get two guys at least in the first round. It's possible. I'm hearing more and more about Tyson Campbell making a move a little bit there to potentially end up late in the first round. 
I'm still going to take the under, but hopefully we get Curtis back to recap some great news for our guys uh, as it relates to the NFL draft. But if not, I'll be here for you guys, and Charlie will be back next week for another mailbag edition of the show. So hit us up on Twitter, or you can just email us your questions. You can uh, send those to us on Twitter at glory underscore UJ. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. Also remind you guys, I'm going to put this out there on social media, but for those of you who listen to the show, if you can remember this, we're planning on doing a scheme theme month next month where we're going to be just talking some X's and O's. Not every single episode, but hopefully at least once a week have a really in-depth X and O conversation for you guys. We have some ideas on things that we would like to talk about, but we also, as, as a show of the people, we try to be a show of the people, we want to we want to make sure we're producing content that you guys are interested in. So if you have a, an X's and O's question that's always been on your mind that you want us to try to go into detail with, that's also something that you can send us on social media. You can email that to us, and we will be happy to try to work that into our May scheme theme month. So while spring practice may be over, and we might not have any on-the-field football to talk about for a little while, we've still got a lot of great stuff planned for you guys in the next couple of months entering the summer. But thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>